Hello, Cornerstone family. It is so good to be able to bring the Word of God to you again. It is so exciting for me to be able to do that, and I hope that it is exciting for you. I hope there is some eager anticipation in you even right now. What is God going to say to you through His Word? And always take what I'm preaching, get it back to the Word of God, make sure what I'm saying is right. Be like the Bereans whom we're going to meet in the book of Acts and be like them and really examine what any preacher says to you. Make sure it is the Word of God. Well, with that being said, let me remind you if you heard about last week's sermon or if you didn't watch last week's sermon to please do so, but if you were here for that sermon, you know we launched a series called To the End of the Earth, and we're going to go through the book of Acts. We're not going to go through every verse of it. That'll be evident even today in our passage, which is Acts 1, 12 through 20. We're not going to hit every verse. In fact, we're going to hit a few more verses in verse 20, but we're going to hit some big themes that keep moving all of us and the entire church to the end of the earth to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And that being said, let me tell you about a lady in our church who came up to me last week after that sermon, and she's one of our many school teachers. We've got a lot of school teachers. We need to be praying for them. This is a really difficult year, not just for students, not just for parents, but it is difficult for teachers as well. And she talked to me and she said, Pastor Tim, I teach 11th grade history, and the curriculum that I have to teach includes the Iroquois Indian creation myth, and so I had to teach that, and so I taught that to my students, and afterwards, I asked my students, how many of you have ever heard of the Bible's creation story, the one about Adam and Eve? Raise your hand if you've heard of that. And of all of her students, four students raised their hands. Four. Brother and sister, I'm telling you, the need for Jesus Christ to hear of the gospel is all around us, even in America. We've got 328 million people in this awesome country. Did you know that 85 People groups in America are called unreached. That means that there is no community of evangelical Christians that are in their midst that are testifying and teaching about Jesus Christ. 85 people groups in our country do not know about Jesus Christ, do not have a Bible, are not being taught. Did you ever hear that Americans actually spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than investing in ministries that bring the good news of Jesus Christ to unreached people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, in fact, one dollar of every 100,000 that Americans give goes to unreached people groups to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you like statistics or not. I, I, I kind of like them. They sort of give, in, they give me kind of broad categories and broad meanings. They don't really drill down too deeply for me. They don't impact me too deeply. But those are fairly telling. 
And it renews in me, it resurges in me, a desire to lead our church to be witnesses of Jesus Christ all the way to the end of the earth. So church, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you individually to think on this, to contemplate this, to actually do justice with this question, and to emerge from this question with a definitive answer. Here's the question. Are you... I'm not using we, different plural, I'm using you. Are you, and I'm asking me, am I, are you ready to reorient your life in order to be a witness of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to reorient your life to be a witness of Jesus Christ? You know, sometimes people comment to me, how come you don't smile more when you preach? I'm a fairly intense person. Yeah, I like to laugh and I love to have fun, but I'm pretty intense. And when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to being a good and faithful servant, I don't find a whole lot of humor in that, although there can be, but there's a lot of seriousness. There's a lot of soberness in that. I'm pretty intense when it comes to us at Cornerstone being a church that is effective for Jesus Christ. I hope that intensity bleeds through to you as well. So if you haven't done it yet, here's one of my most intense points. And look, I'm even smiling when I tell you. You've got to have your Bibles open. If you don't have your Bible right now open, now if you're driving, (laughs) please don't do that. But if you're sitting and you're watching or listening to this, get your Bible open if you would and open that up to Acts chapter 1. Let's be the people of God that love the Word of God and let it shape and transform our lives. Acts chapter 1, here's what we talked about last week, where Jesus reminds his disciples right before he ascended back to the Father. He reminds them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. By the way, did you know that you can actually divide the book of Acts along those three categories? And it's almost divided evenly. In in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. And that's sort of what we're going to be doing as we work through the book of Acts. But this is what Jesus has said to the disciples. And by the way, Christian... He is reaching forward 2,000 years. He's saying it to you. He's saying it to me. You will be my witnesses. And so we begin in verse 4 today where the resurrected Jesus, he is staying with the disciples. By the way, you might have a little footnote in your Bible because that word staying also means eating. I mean, he's fellowshipping. He is with his disciples more than just to teach them. He is doing that. He is enjoying life with them, and he's doing this for 40 days. From resurrection to his ascension back to his father is 40 days. And he is with his disciples. And look what it says in verse 4. Now, you got to catch this. This is a very strong word. He ordered them. You don't see that a lot. He ordered them. He didn't ask them, he didn't suggest to them, he didn't warn them or counsel them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Something is critical. Something is essential. 
He gave them the mission. You've got it. I've got it. Every church has it to be a witness of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth. That's our job. That's our mission. But there's something essential that is in verse 4. You must wait in Jerusalem. You must not depart from there. But you've got to wait for the promise of the Father. Now I want you to let that word wait sort of percolate in your mind just for a bit. Because honestly, come on, let's admit it, nobody likes this word. There's not really a lot of positive connotation or examples about the word wait. I mean, it conjures up images of being stuck at a stoplight when you're in a hurry. Wait probably reminds you of an ER visit at a hospital. Wait is that agonizing 30 more days until your wedding or that month until you're going to give birth to your baby. Wait is the hour to go before you can pass off your screaming toddler to your spouse who's on his way home from work. None of those are pleasant examples. Not one of them. But here we have the disciples. They are ordered by Jesus to not leave Jerusalem. And here it is. Get ready. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Now, right now, if I were you, and I've listened to a lot of sermons, and I've kind of done some of these things before, you might be in your mind right now going, man, he's making a really big deal about this word wait. I'm not seeing it. Let me bring a little more awareness to why I'm camping and emphasizing that. Let me do it in this way. Christian, did you know that there is almost always, I would say always, but I really don't like to generalize, overgeneralize, there's almost always a period of waiting between God's promise and God's provision. And that time of waiting is God's preparation. So I want to say that again so that there's no possibility right at the beginning of this message that I might be unclear with you. God's promise leads to God's provision, but not until after God's preparation. And that season of preparation is called waiting. Here's what Jesus is saying, if I could paraphrase it. My Father is giving you the Spirit, disciples, So that you could be my witnesses. But we've got to make you ready. We've got to prepare you for it. You know, I've seen couples in love skip marriage preparation and marry too soon or marry unwisely. Man, I've seen that. That is devastatingly painful. I've seen people sense a call into ministry and then they plunge Ahead without being made ready or having the covering over them. Yet how common, I mean just think about this, even the world knows this. How common for a boss to create a plan for an employee to move into management, but then take months and sometimes even years to get that person trained and prepared for the responsibility of that position. Even the world gets this, but we don't like it. And sometimes we forget it when God's calling us to serve him. Forty days, the resurrected Jesus had been training them, preparing them, eating with them, 
staying with them. Look at verse 3, 40 days. Did you know that in the Bible, 40 days or 40 years, the number 40 is almost always a biblical number of instruction and training and preparation, almost always. And so now Jesus tells them, go back to Jerusalem, wait for the promise to be provided by my Father, and in that waiting period, in that preparation period that they're going to go through, we can gain four significant insights that I want to teach to you. Here's the first. If we are to witness well of Jesus Christ, if we're going to do this well, Christian, we must learn to trust and obey. This is so fundamental. Look at verse 3 again. Is everybody looking at your Bibles? Please do that. It, it tells us that Jesus was with them for 40 days. And at the end of that time, verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. He ordered them. He commanded them to wait. Now, I know I already told you that, but I'm going to link it now to verse 12. Can you look at your Bibles? It tells us what they do. Here's what they did. They returned, verse 12, to Jerusalem. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And you might think, well, it's not that big of a deal. Why is this so much of a hallmark moment? Why are you bringing such a big deal out of this? Did it ever dawn on you that Jesus never told them how long they had to wait? And that would have helped. Right? I mean, it's the same thing. If somebody in the ER tells you, one of the nurses, listen, I know you've been here a little while, but we're going to get you in in five minutes. We've got an opening in five minutes. Well, now five minutes is not that long of a wait. Now, if you're in pain and not very, if you're very sick, that's a big wait. But you know now, mentally, there's an end to your waiting. You can do this. Jesus never told them how long they were going to wait. And that would have helped. And he could have done that. And by the way, have you ever thought, why didn't Jesus ascend to the Father the morning of the day when the Spirit of God came down? Or even the day before the Spirit of God came down? There's something critical between the promise and the provision. The preparation is essential. And they're in the preparation, they're in these 10 days between the ascension of Jesus and the day of Pentecost. Did you catch that? If you want to put that in your Bible, there's 10 days between when Jesus ascends to the Father and the day of Pentecost. That is the best estimate. It's 50 days after the festival of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus was with them 40 days, leaving 10 days left. But this was preparation. This was a time between the promise and the provision. They've got to learn to trust. They've got to learn to obey God. Even when they lack the details. I bet you're a lot like me. I bet you've said to God, God, just give me the details. I can handle anything if you just give me the details. Tell me how it's going to work out. Tell me what to do. Tell me how I'm supposed to function. If you just give me more information, I'm going to be okay. It's the mystery. It's the lack of knowing that is so difficult. And do you obey and trust even in the fog? 
You see, the time between the promise and the provision is full of opportunity for you and for me to learn patience, trust, obedience, which are crucial characteristics of a witness of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Imagine, if you would, the Spirit of God directs you to go to a person in your school or your workplace or your neighborhood to share the message of the forgiveness that is yours in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The Spirit of God makes it clear. The Spirit of God directs you to that person and you say no. You rationalize, not today, I'll do it next time. You justify, they didn't look like they were ready. But the Spirit of God was directing you. He didn't give you the details. He didn't tell you what the outcome was going to be. He just simply impressed on you, this person needs the gospel. I'm sending you to that person. I'm going to create an opportunity for you. And you say no. Or imagine that God clearly calls you to leave your career and the comfort of your current life and make plans to serve him in an entirely different place. How would you respond to that call? You see, when the Spirit of God gives us opportunities to tell of Jesus, will we take it? A year ago, I went on a motorcycle trip. We've done this now three years in a row with these particular guys who are not believers. And I was praying as we were getting ready to go for months, actually, praying that God would give me an opportunity to speak to them while we were on that trip. And you know what happened? He did. With one of them, I shared the gospel one morning before we even got going on the motorcycles for that day. And and incredibly, he had asked me to share the gospel with him. The other one, I afterwards, after the trip was over, I invited him into a weekly Bible study with me. And unbelievably, he agreed. And we did. You see, when the Spirit of God gave me the opportunities, I had a choice. I could be full of anxiety. I could justify why I should delay. I could rationalize why it wasn't time. But the Spirit of God was impressing me. There was a burgeoning, growing desire in me. I want to see my friends get saved. So God, give me opportunity. And when he did, I had to make a choice. Am I going to testify or not? Am I going to be obedient and trust God or not? You see, this time of preparation for the disciples was an opportunity to learn trustful obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. It is critical to trustingly obey our God if we're going to be effective witnesses of Jesus. But that's the first principle, trustful obedience. Let me give you the second one. I want to teach this to you very carefully because I think this is a weakness for almost all of us. If we are to witness effectively of Christ, we must often be in prayer. I mean, look what they did. Verse 14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. That word devoting is huge. Huge. I mean, just think of when my children or your children were on those little merry-go-round 
things at the playground and you're spinning it faster or you're on it with them and, and it's being spun faster and that, I think it's centrifugal force. I don't know if that's wrong. Email me, let me know. But whatever force it is that wants to fling you off of that thing and I remember my kids beginning to squeal and fright because their fingers were slipping off the metal bars and so I put my hands over their hands and held them fast. Listen, that's the, the image that ought to be conjuring in your mind or something like that with the word devoted. They were gripping. They were holding on. They were giving it all they've got to pray. See, prayer is, for most of us, our Achilles heel as a Christian. Let's just be humble and admit it. So we miss opportunities that the Spirit of God is giving us to witness. Why? Because we are more focused inward than upward. And we are often afraid. We're selfish. We're busy. We're apathetic. We lack confidence to say anything. Yet the same ones of us who lack confidence share a lot on Facebook about parenting advice or political opinions or our insight into fitness and wellness. But somehow, when it comes to witnessing of Jesus Christ, we can ground to a halt. And I would challenge and I would encourage you to possibly reflect, why is that so? Could it be that we, beyond the fear and the lack of confidence, that we really truly lack conviction, that we lack love for those who are unbelieving and on their way to hell? Do we love them enough to get out of our comfort zones and speak the gospel to them? But you see, prayer is how God opens our eyes. Prayer is how God emboldens us, preparing us to share the gospel if you're continually praying throughout the day, then you're constantly refocusing on the kingdom of God. That's the, the prayer that Jesus taught in Matthew 6. You're enabled to see that his will in heaven is being done on earth right in the midst of your life. And if you learn to spend time with God in prayer, you're going to more easily see the opportunities that the Spirit of God is giving you to tell others of Jesus Christ. Friends, if you are in a season between the promise and the provision, don't waste it by avoiding the preparation. Learn to pray. In fact, I'm going to tell you in a moment what Paul learned in his ministry. But I'm going to give you point number three first. If we are to be effective witnesses of Christ, then we must learn to live in community. We've got to learn to live in community. Look at verse 14 again. Here it is, I'm going to start at the beginning. All these with one accord, now skip ahead in verse 14. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They're all there, they're all together. They're praying in unity. And I'm going to say it right now, I'm just going to say it as clear as I know. A church that lacks unity, lacks the power of their witness. I've never ever, ever met heard of or even seen a church that is marked with division and, and schisms have any kind of witness in their community. It is absolutely rendered moot. There is no witness for a divided church. And that's true in your marriage, friends. That's true in your family. And that's true even on our church board. I'm going to tell you one of the things that we deal with on the church board always, constantly, is unity. 
And there have been times where many of us have gotten upset with another, and instead of going to that person in biblical peacemaking, we go to another person and talk about why you're upset. That's the wrong way to maintain the unity of the Spirit, Ephesians 4. You see, biblical peacemaking always means if you're offended, if you're hurt, if you're upset, if you've been sinned against, the only person that you ever should be talking to initially is that very person. And Matthew 18 tells us, if that doesn't resolve it, then you go to the next step and you get a witness. And if that doesn't do it, then you go to the elders of the church. Unity is critical to our witness. We must be together in unity, and that must be reflected in our Christian community. It absolutely blows my mind. I cannot... Listen, there are some things in life that no matter how often I have contemplated it, I can't make sense of it. Here's one of them. I don't know how anybody who claims to be a Christian can actually say they don't need to be part of a church to be a Christian. You will never find, not one time in any of the scriptures, something to support that view. On the converse, I could show you hundreds of verses that dismantle that view. It's like a race car driver saying they don't need a team to win the Daytona 500. It's absurd. It's impossible. There is power in Christian community. Look at verse 15. There's 120 men and women together in this upper room praying. Do you know how much power is there? How much encouragement is there? How much unity is there? And it is critical if you're going to be a witness of Jesus Christ. I told you I was going to tell you about Paul. Listen to this. Paul, at the end of Ephesus, asked that church, pray for us. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is good. Pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. You see what he's asking? He's asking people to pray that I would be bold and that I would have the right words. Is that not what you're asking? It's what I'm asking when an opportunity to share Jesus comes up. He asked the church at Colossae. He says very much the same thing. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Do you see the power of prayer? That when we are in Christian community, when you are in a growth group, when you are in a ministry team, and you are praying for each other, and people are praying for you, and you are getting opportunities by the Spirit of God to share about the the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, those prayers are going, Lord, please give him the right words. Give her the boldness. Give us the opportunities. This is the power of a unified church that's in one accord, that learns to pray. But I'm going to give you one more final teaching principle. If we're going to be in the middle of the promise and the provision, right into preparation, here's what God's going to be doing in you. An effective witness of Christ studies God's word. Listen, Christian friend, let's just settle it right now. There are two things that go together in the Christian life. It is prayer, number one, 
and to study the Word of God, number two. That's not by way of priority. They just go together. The disciples at some point, up in that upper room, among those 120 people, somebody must have remembered what Jesus had said in Matthew 19, 28, that he will sit on his glorious throne. Now listen. You who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones. The problem is there's only 11 of them now. There's only 11 apostles. Judas had abandoned them. That was a prophecy from Psalm 109, verse 8. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. Peter knew that scripture. Now listen, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have the internet. There were scrolls that most people didn't have the money to own. They studied and they remembered and they memorized. And somehow this verse came back to Peter's mind. And the Spirit of God brought it there. That Judas is no longer here. But the prophecy from Psalm 109 says somebody's got to take his place. So what do they do? They get two men from that 120 both of which had been with them the entire time, had known Jesus, had seen his resurrected being. They cast lots and leave it up to the Lord. God, you choose. And one of them was chosen to take the place of Judas. Do you see the point? They knew the word of God. They had studied and were studying the scriptures. Now here's the part that should blow your mind. Not one of them had their masters of divinity. Not one of them had gone to seminary. Not one of them were rabbinical scholars. Not one of them were theologians that were trained. They were men called from secular industries, brought into the rabbi Jesus' care, and he taught them. And Christian, that's you. That's me. We are being taught by our rabbi, and the Spirit of God is impressing our, rabbinical, our rabbi's teachings into our hearts. That's the power of the Word of God. It is transformative. And if you are responding to this message with a sudden and greater desire, I want to be used by God. I want to lead people to Christ. I want to be bold and share my hope in the resurrected Jesus. If that's roiling around and increasing in you right now, then I'm going to tell you, you must get into serious Bible study. So get into a growth group. Get with other believers. Pray together. Study together. You see, the Father's promise was the Holy Spirit. The provision would come, as Luke 24, 49 says, when they were clothed with power from on high. So the promise is the Holy Spirit. The provision is power from on high. Power to be witnesses of Jesus. Yet the time between the promise, the Spirit of God, and the provision clothed with the power on, on high is filled with preparation. And they had to learn the need for obedience. They had to see the power of prayer. They had to sense the protection of community. And they had to see the power and depth of the Bible. It's no different for us today. 
as it's now our turn to testify of Jesus in our generation. Brother and sister, I want you to imagine something. Even if you have to close your eyes and, and use holy imagination for a moment, that's all right to do. Imagine our church multiplying and growing not with people who are angry at their current church and they leave and come into our church. That's called transfer growth. Can you imagine in your eye for a moment our church growing from birth? People being born into salvation. People coming out of the world, not another church, out of the world, out of darkness, into the light, into the kingdom of God. And they come join us to worship our king and to serve our king by witnessing of him. Can you imagine being in a church that is multiplying and growing? Why? Because each of us, you, me, all of us, are testifying of Jesus and the unsaved are receiving life. And they are joining us in the work of being Christ's witnesses to the end of the earth. Can you imagine a church full of obedience, praying, unified, scripture-loving, studying Christians that is, and the Spirit of God is constantly giving opportunities to witness? I want to be that church. And I want you to want to be in that church. And that's the aim of this sermon series. Let us provoke in us a jealousy to see the Spirit of God lead us to witness of Jesus Christ and watch hundreds and thousands of people get saved and get the gospel to the end of the earth. And by the way, you don't need to go any further than your own neighborhood. Amen? Let's pray for that right now. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he gave his disciples and he gives us a promise that we don't need to do this mission of being your witnesses in our own power. In fact, it's not even possible. You gave a promise that the Father was going to send the Spirit. And the Father did. And the provision was that they were clothed with power from on high. The provision for us is the exact same. We will be clothed with power from on high. But there is often... An essential time of preparation. Lord, you call us to do ministry. You call us to speak and testify. But Lord, there is a preparation. We must learn to be trustfully obedient. We must be driven deeper into prayer so that our eyes are upward rather than inward. We must love community and gain strength from one another, protection from one another, boldness from one another's prayers. And we must learn to study your word so that we have more to share, so that we have more to testify of. Lord, that's the early church. And that needs to be cornerstone. That needs to be me. That needs to be every single Christian listening. Lord, I ask that you would make us into that church. And Father, I would ask that if there is anybody that is listening or watching this message that is gaining an awareness, maybe even startlingly so, that they are not a believer, that they do not have the Spirit of God in them. Lord, may they cry out right now to you for forgiveness and believe that you died in their place, that you gave life to them, that they can have eternal life and forgiveness 
from the Father because of the death of Jesus for their sins. May they cry out right now. And whatever words they want to form, you don't care what words they use. It's about their hearts. May they recognize they're a sinner. May they see their great need. May they trust and believe that Jesus will meet it and save them. Father, we give you all glory for what you're going to do in this message. And we give you all glory what you're going to do through this church. And it's to your name, your great name, that we say we love you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless Cornerstone. Let's pray. Let's get in community. Let's study the word of God and let's trustfully obey. And let's watch and see what opportunities the spirit of God gives you even this week. God bless. Have a great week with the spirit of God.